You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, online at acaville.org. Acaville, a wall of sound you won't want to break down. At the top of the hour this hour, winners from Graz. From July 17th through 21st, Vocal Total was held in Graz, Austria, and it was a great year for the festival. As a part of the event, competitions were held in multiple categories, and from watching the free live stream, the performances were great. Winning in the pop category was Filipino group Acapelago, with German group Blended taking the silver. In the jazz area, Gilly from Taiwan came out on top, with the Netherlands-based group The Junction coming in second. The USA made a strong showing in the beatbox area with Napalm winning, hot on the heels of him winning the International Grand Beatbox Battle in March. Congratulations to all. Welcome to Talkapella. I'm your host, John Lampus, here on Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. Today, I am joined with possibly, and not possibly, definitely, the most prestigious guest to ever grace uh, the Tacapella, the ears of the Tacapella listeners on Tacapella itself. It is Paul Schultz, who is a tenor with the vocal choral ensemble Contus. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So uh, we're just going to dive right in. Basically, um, I've always wanted someone from a more classical choral group to come on Tacapella because I think uh, today, as contemporary acapella is growing, that means the crossover with classical choral ensembles is also growing, and that and those genres are continually intermixing. And here at Tacapella and here at Acapella, we're all about promoting that kind of interplay. So I figured this would be the best opportunity possible to just dive into this stuff. So I think, um, Paul, before we kind of start talking about all this, do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Contus and all that? Yeah, so my name is Paul Schultz, and and I grew up in uh, the Midwest. I went to school actually for English, but I I, st- I sang a lot of choirs throughout the years, um, and with my family and stuff, and and I always kind of admired the King Singers from afar. Um, and then I was out in New York City singing, doing solo work, and singing in pro choral groups, um, and had had contests on my radar for a long time, and sending my materials in and had an audition and, and I was lucky enough that they had a spot for me. And so I joined them uh, in 2015 and really enjoyed my time. Great. And Contus was uh, founded originally, wasn't it like a choral group at St. Olaf College? Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. St. Olaf, I think it was like 1995 or 96. Yeah. They had a freshman men's choir um, that, that these four guys were singing in and they just, they loved singing men's music and they loved singing together acapella and, uh, they said, "Hey, let's keep singing." So they did, and they slowly added members. and And uh, mm-hmm. I think, like, their seen the summer of their senior year, they decided to put together a tour, and oh, they wow. made enough money that that they're like, "Hey, we should, we should just do see that. How, <laughs> see, see what happens." Yeah. So, and and they've been we've been going ever since. All the original guys are are now gone, but but what they've built is is uh, hopefully going to last a long time. Yeah, I've been hearing about Contus since um, well before I went to actually. Do, really dove deep into the choral and acapella world and it's it's always been you know everyone talks about king singer chanticleer contus those kind of you know big big groups that really set a really high standard so again we are so lucky to have you on the show paul so let's let's talk contus and let's talk acapella contemporary acapella choral stuff so 
Could you just talk uh, first about kind of the repertoire that Contus generally does to kind of frame the discussion a little bit? Yeah, and, and we're a little different this way. Um, Chanticleer is obviously the other full-time mm-hmm. um, classical boy band uh, <laughs> in the country. And, and one one thing that's kind of different is, is, is Chanticleer generally sticks to more classical rep mm-hmm. and also some jazz and things. Um, but Contus has, has traditionally and definitely recently been a lot more fluid. And the way we program is it's it's really about choosing a story that we want to tell. Yeah. Um, and then we find pieces to fit that. And it could be really anything, um, you know, rock, rock music, um, folk, whatever. Um, and, and if there are if arrangements don't exist, then then hopefully we have somebody mm-hmm. in house who has the skills to throw those together. Um, yeah. It's really eclectic. And of course, obviously, the classics too. you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff that's written for for men's choral choral groups we sing as well yeah i remember i got to hear contus once and it was all about uh like wartime and war songs and like patriotism and stuff like that and uh what was most striking to me was i was kind of expecting because i'd never seen contus before kind of the standard uh you know high school choral model king sing maybe not king singers but chanticleer model essentially of okay they're going to start with like the earliest music possible there's going to be a theme might be a little loose, but it'll be there kind of through. And then the, fu- you know, the quote unquote fun songs, the one that ones that little kids are going to kind of jump up for at the end. And I was really surprised to see that it didn't follow that kind of model at all. And it was very clearly about, like you said, about the story, which I think something both choral groups and acapella groups, you know, I think we, I think a lot of times we think of it in as, okay, we have to go through, you know, how do we do, how do we line up the genres? Are we going through it chronologically? Are we going through it? Uh, you know, what's going to make the most sense for the music? And obviously that's, you know, music is music. Obviously we want that to work. But when you consider the music, but also really think about the story, I think the concert and the whole program becomes more than the sum of its parts because you see connections between songs. You understand, oh, they talked about this there and this there. I remember one of the Contus uh, songs near the end, it was talking about, I can't remember the name of the piece, it was very beautiful, but I remember it was talking about a man who, um, I believe he was a veteran and he was gay. And he was talking yeah. about uh, what, like how he didn't fight for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, what do you think I fought for at, at Omaha Beach, which is by, um, oh gosh, I'm, oh, Melissa, Melissa Dunphy, who yeah. came to one of our shows this year and she's just amazing. Um, but yeah, this, this veteran, he had, he went to a polling place. It's a true story. And he was, mm-hmm. you know, casting his vote in maybe the general election and he's leaving. And this woman asks him, she, I think she's an activist. She's there, um, promoting, uh, LGBT rights probably. And she said, do you believe in equality for gay and lesbian people? And he says, and he's this old guy, you know, so you, mm-hmm. she probably is thinking, you know, he's a veteran, he's an old guy, like he has a certain set of, um, opinions and, beliefs and and his responses what do you think i fought for at omaha beach yeah and it's for equality is is why he fought and he talks about it's actually his gay son i think Mm -hmm. he has three or four sons and one of them's gay and he's like i didn't i didn't risk my life and my friends and i didn't die you know so that certain people would have more rights than others absolutely and i found that very poignant and striking both because one on its own it is beautiful and striking but comparing that with some of the earlier pieces um, just a little earlier in the concert where that kind of uh, idea or topic wasn't just you know wasn't in the the kind of cultural zeitgeist at the time when those other pieces were created so it was really cool seeing 
that connection like oh this is how war and equality and what they're fighting for was viewed then with this culture and then looking at it more recently in american culture and that was i mean that for me and a lot of my friends watching that concert was uh very touching in a way that i don't think i see i wish i'd see more in you know choral classical acapella concerts focusing on the theme and and the story which which you know all the members talked about um in depth. yeah and we- and we're like, and we're really lucky to get to create art like this every day. Yeah. And, and there's only so many, you know, jobs for, for singers. So you can yeah. be full time. It's like kind of crazy. It's, it's really, it's like, it's like winning the nerdy coral lottery. Um, <laughs> I totally agree. But, but, uh, but it's, it's great to be able to program where it's, you know, the, the key is like, what do we want to share with people? And what mm-hmm. our mission is, Contu's mission is to give voice to human experience. And so really we try to find a story that we think is compelling um, or that we think is important to share. And then everything else is in effort yeah. to, to, to raise that up, put that forward. I, I think that is a very valuable uh, lens and perspective to that both choral and acapella, um, contemporary acapella directors and singers should really consider when, you know, they're programming for their first acapella group or their, you know, the first concert of the year. Because I think not only will that, you know, it's not just going to affect the audience, it's not just going to affect uh, the singers, but it's just going to, it's it's just going to be a more, it's, it's going to be a story that can stand on its own. Because it's like you're taking, you know, little bits from all these different places and throwing them together to tell your own, not just your own, like, here's the plot and here's the story, but your own interpretation of it, your own feelings about it. And I think, I mean, I think so much, it's really easy to get caught up in, well, I, you know, I'm going to be vocally tired after this song, or this is the big opener, or this is this and this. And when you put the story first, um, or at least really consider it strongly, you get you get something really special, and I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to hear how it came across. And I think, you know, when you're when you're ha- singing a piece or performing a piece, and you you have a personal connection to it, mm-hmm. um, it just it completely it just changes everything. Yeah. You know, it it, it it's changes it for you as the performer, but also the audience can absolutely feel that difference. Um, they can tell when a performer believes what they're saying and and has found a piece of art that resonates with them yep. um, as the artist, which is, which is, yeah, that's, that's like the best. And there's no, and there's no like age limit on that. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to be a certain um, age. You don't have to have a certain amount of experience. You know, it, it goes true for little kids. Like if you can, if you can set that up for little kids too, who are Definitely. performing, it's, it's like absolutely like my, my wife is an elementary music teacher and she, she did a program with her second graders and they sang, when I grow up from Matilda mm-hmm. and it was just like, and the kids loved it and they performed the heck out of it. And it was like, and everybody was just crying. It was like so beautiful. <laughs> I think, I think that's a really, I think that's a great example. Cause I know for me in um, my undergrad doing both choral contemporary acapella, all that stuff. Uh, I remember uh, my first solo I sang in my contemporary acapella group, which was, um, it's the theme song to Scrubs, Superman. And I had, and I didn't nice. really, yeah. And I, and I honestly, I, I probably let the whole idea of like, well, you can tell when someone's like really believes in the song and really connects to it. And I've been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But shouldn't you do the one that sounds best or do this or whatever? And I, it was a, li- a little cynical. And I, I remember one of my close friends coming up to me, like after I sang that song, um, which was, you, you know, it's a song about needing help and friendship and what you can achieve and that I think for a lot of college students is very uh, a very similar situation there and my friend was like you know that seems like the most honestly you've sung a pop song 
you know, ever. And I didn't really realize that. And then I looked at the video and then I looked at other videos where I'm doing stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm just doing this. Uh, and sitting there watching, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no comparison. Totally. And when you structure these concerts like that about the story and about the meaning, then you just get that over and over and over. And it's great. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, it's a little bit, a little bit of a tangent, but I, I remember <laughs> I'm, I'm really generally grew up, you know, as a, uh, grew up in, in a small town in Iowa mm -hmm. and, you know, we went to Lutheran church and we would sing, you know, in church and my family, we love to sing, but you sing in hymns and you're supposed to be very stiff, yeah. you know? And I remember my grandfather said once to me, like commented about another singer that he appreciated that, like I was, I like didn't have any emotion when I sang or something <laughs> like, I think he's this Norwegian, like super stoic, like, same you know, with whatever. my grandpa, same with my grandpa. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And mm -hmm. so I'm, so that's kind of, you know, you, and you, so it's all about how to sing. You're trying to sing pretty and you're trying to sing well, but you kind of, my instinct was always like, I'm just going to be as stiff as I can. Yeah. And want grandpa to be proud or whatever. <laughs> um, but I got out to New York and was looking for gigs and singing in pro choral groups mm -hmm. and doing church gigs and solo gigs. And I remember being in a rehearsal and we were auditioning for a little away in the manger solo at this, oh, yeah. at, with this pro choral group. And, and, uh, a couple of people were trying it and this one guy sang it and his voice wasn't really necessarily the prettiest. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I mean, he had a fine voice, but, um, and so I was like, Oh, it'd be interesting to hear Thomas sing it. And he sang it. And it was just, it was like blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. Like the simple mm -hmm. melody, it's not an impressive range. There aren't, there isn't like a moment that's like, Oh, that note, like, yeah. Oh, you know, but he just, he performed the text. Like he, yeah. he, he was able just right there, right then, to, to perform this text and make it real and make the audience, make us feel like this was an incredible story that he yeah. was sharing. Yeah. And I think as you get, as in, and as I am mature as an artist and as we all do, it's like, how do you get there right away? Like, and like he was able to do, like, you don't need to practice. It's just like, you see the line of text and you immediately internalize it and you can turn it around and make it just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, so often I hear when talking about any kind of classical vocal genre, whether it's opera, choral, you know, whatever, a lot of them, you know, vocal, classical vocal genres, uh, a lot of my friends will be like, yeah, well, I, you know, the music from like the Magic Flute or, um, you know, one of Verity's pieces. Yeah, that sounds good, but it's not in English, so I don't get it. And I'm like, which is, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from, but I think what they kind of have to look at is, okay, you know, first off, there's probably a translation like in your program, just throwing that out there. But um, if you can, you can probably get the meaning of the song or you can get a sense of how the singer connects to the piece or the conductor or even the orchestra, if you know, something like that. And that's, that's the kind of, that's the magic of it. I remember watching a Ted talk um, by, uh, I want to say Benjamin Zander, who was talking about little kids. Well, I don't get classical music. And he said, just think about, um, when you had like a family member pass away and he played, it was, it was a sad Mozart piece as you know, don't tell anyone I ever said sad Mozart piece. Cause they'll be disappointed. <laughs> I didn't know the title, but it was, and then everyone in the audience was like connecting to the music and et cetera, et cetera. And for, while we can't always go up in front of people and say, this is what this song's about, or this is what it's meant to, you know, what it's supposed to mean when we as vocalists uh, can connect to it as deeply as we can 
and that doesn't come with every song. You won't connect deeply to every song. But when we can do that, we we frame it ourselves. We don't have to have someone say, this is what this is about. We have to express that through our eyes, through our movements, or just through a lack of movement, or for you know all these different things that there's so much more to a vocal performance than yeah. just the voice. So it's, and I, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think as singers, like we are training, we're, we're just learning, you know, all these years about how to sing yeah. the technique and like, how do you hit that high note or how do you make sure that those low notes are coming across to the audience? And so eventually you're learning solo rap and stuff. And it's like, all you're learning is the melody line. And you, you forget that like, no, you have to remind yourself and turn everything around Yep. When you're when you're trying to take it to the next level, it's all about the text. That's yep. the text is everything. If it's in English, great. Then you can read it quicker. But if it's not, <laughs> like you said, like you just find a translation and mm-hmm. you get to know it as well as as you would know it if it was yep. your your native language. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, text text is king, and and I think every all of us, myself included, definitely could be reminded of that. Yeah, and I think that's something where contemporary acapella. And, and this is why I think some people like, you know, the quote unquote, the average Joe might be more drawn to a cover of a pop song they know than, you know, than Magic Flute or um, than, yep. um, than a foray piece or something like that is because it's in English. So they're kind of barrier to understanding it. They don't have to work as hard to understand it because it's English, which is fine. Yes, it might. It is technically easier to understand. And I think also with contemporary acapella, it's for them really cool when they hear something that's very present in popular culture, you know, three pitch perfect or pentatonics or just covers of stuff yep. they know. And they see someone they know emoting it. And because the song, like, I don't know, call me, maybe, you know, maybe that's not the most poignant piece, but it's like, they know what that song's about. They know they have the background so they can see how their friend or their peer or is interpreting it. So, whereas with a piece, a piece of music, they don't know that might be in a different language. Right. It's harder for the audience to kind of understand that. But I think, you know, the biggest thing for us to do, for acapella people to do, for choral people to do is like, hey, look a little deeper. Look, don't just, you know, closing your eyes and listen. That's also great. But take in the whole performance, take in everything, uh, and you will quite likely connect to it on a similar level. Maybe, and I maybe think, yeah. Yeah, I think I think also um, it's on the, the, the folks putting the, the concerts together and, yeah. and programming to set these pieces up in a way where the audiences have a chance to resonate because mm-hmm. there's just incredible amounts of gorgeous music. That's not yeah. in English, obviously, yeah. but really like just stunning. And the stories behind it are also equally yeah. just amazing. And like, for example, one of my favorite um, composers is, is Johann Sebastian Bach, which yep. isn't like some kind of Eureka moment or anything because <laughs> he's amazing. It's not like I'm the first one to like Bach, yeah. um, but his life story and what he mm-hmm. went through and you know, his, the children that he had and the children that died and mm-hmm. his, how prolific he was, how much music he wrote and, and why he wrote it, how it fit in with his timeline. It's like just yeah heartbreaking. And you listen yeah. to these pieces and, and when you have that context and you know what the piece is about and you know why he was writing it, mm-hmm. it's just like soul wrenching, soul wrenchingly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I think of, you know, a comparison that I kind of come that 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 brings to mind for me is, you know, how does a let's just say, I don't know, ran, uh, college freshman, let's say they're at a concert or they're at a performance or an open mic night, and someone goes up with like a guitar and says, you know, I'm 
I'm singing this song that I wrote because my friend passed away or something like that, which, you know, I don't think that's an uncommon situation people find themselves in. They know right then and there, they have just the basic information. This was written about death. This is written about loss. So that person watching this person perform with a guitar, they're probably very overcome with emotion. Whereas, you know, someone who's just listening to Bach but, um, at like a, right. a big choir performance, if they don't have the context, um, it's just it, it's just a pretty pretty notes. Yeah, which is which is only interesting for so long. You yeah, know? it's only interesting to like choral people for so long. You know, I know people who go to you know big choral festivals all day, and eventually you know they get a little fatigued if they're not pieces that are presented in a way or if the context is not widely known enough, et cetera, et cetera, if that stuff, if people have to understand that classical music is not, you know, super closed off and stoic and, and, you know, emotionally unavailable, it's the exact opposite of that in so many ways. And that's the thing that I keep, you know, going back between contemporary acapella and classical choral, I keep trying to be like, Hey guys, look at this. Hey, look at this. And, um, and I think it's getting better. I, it, I, don't know if it's how quickly it's getting better but i think people are starting to recognize like oh okay if this was written about this maybe i understand why perfect example that i that always comes to my mind for the moment where like i had a classical choral piece really laid out for me like this is what this means was uh uh by a group we already talked about uh the king singers when they sang the song horizons which is about um the uh, pygmy people being like murdered uh, by you know white uh, colonialists and there's this big major seven chord at the end um, where it's like on the words then they killed us on the far horizons and for me I was like looking at this like oh my gosh I get why there's the clash I understand where the, the second is I understand how that's coming through the music and for me that was the moment where like switched on like okay you know it's not just I'm going to sound good it's I'm going to sound good in order to tell a message to communicate a message yeah, totally. And do you, do you remember from the concert that piece uh, from the the Conti's touring shows, private first class, private first class Jesse Gibbons' yeah. last letter home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just an example of a piece that's not really from the a cappella tradition. It's more classical, mm -hmm. but it's it's just it's such a compelling story. It's like if you listen to that piece, it's it's just gorgeous. Like any way you anywhere you cut it, like. It's it's amazing to listen to, and the story is universal. It's just like that person standing up with open mic, um, setting yeah. up the piece with "This is from my my friend yeah. who passed away." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's and that's the stuff that I think you know people like you and me, people who are you know scooting between these genres, people who are very involved in the vocal music world. That's that. Those are the moments when you see that on both sides. Those are the moments that, for me, that keep me in the vocal choral world because I see how much beauty and emotion you can get yeah. through these songs. Yeah. I think of the challenge that Contus has is we've got an audience that has grown up with us from folks, you know, the, these, these singers at St. Olaf who started it, yeah. their parents and their parents' friends, you know, came to their first home shows. Yeah. And so our audience has grown and there's a big um, classical choral scene in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot yeah. of those folks, but we don't do just classical choral music. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of trouble like, how do we get people in the door who aren't just choral mm -hmm. choral enthusiasts? Because, um, like for example, our last show we sang a straight cover of "Light in the Hallway" by the Pentatonics, which is just a gorgeous lullaby. Um, and and we 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 did a we did a mashup of like a Beyonce medley at our at our spring show. Um, you know, obviously like 
we at our last at our covers concert we did the whole of Sgt. Pepper's mm-hmm. with a band, but like so much of what we do is not like straight and narrow yeah. up and down, really normal choral stuff. It's it's eclectic. It's everything. Yeah. It's it's acapella. It's just like you know, it's it's pop. Um, so we are challenges. Like how do we how do we get other folks to realize that it's that we're not just another stuffy yeah. choral group. I think I think that is uh you know, as someone studying to be a choral director, getting closer and closer to, you know, getting in front of my own choir at a school in a couple of years, like that's something I'm thinking about, like, okay, how do we how do we go against the standard pop culture image of what a choral group is and how do we communicate to people, hey, we're not just here to listen to ourselves sing and we're not just here to try and hit the highest quality of like you you know you hit all the singing formants or whatever your tone was the best i've ever heard it's it's so much more important than that because it's not just about us and i think that's the issue a lot of people uh when i went into choral singing for the first time i thought yeah i'm about this is about me and my friends trying to sound as good as we can and then it wasn't until until like that moment where i you know i first heard horizons i realized okay storytelling and not and not storytelling for our sake storytelling for the audience's sake yeah, and what you're going to be dealing with, and I have a, I have a ton of friends who are choral directors, um, and it's like not only are you trying to get audiences to come and hear this music, but you're also trying to recruit students to come yeah. be in your choirs. And how do how do you communicate to them and show them the relevance of this art form? You know, how does it fit in with with their reality and, and their experiences, which um, you know it seems like more and more aren't so classical. Um, which is, which is not a bad thing. It's just, that's, it's just a reality. Yeah. I mean, if someone said, I don't know, eight years ago, like, how do you connect to Bach? I would have been like, well, I'm not living in Leipzig. I'm not, you know, a church musician. I, I don't connect to Bach. I just like it for the, because it sounds good. And it's, you know, understanding, Hey, just because they have the long white wig and you see their names and pictures on books everywhere, that doesn't mean they're not human. That doesn't mean they that their music isn't meant uh, isn't meant to represent really. I mean, I think that's the thing that we're kind of circling around is communicating the human condition and humanity and all the things we yeah. have to deal with through music and you know just trying to get to people. Hey, you don't just have to go to acapella to hear this, and you don't have to have someone say these certain words or you know just spell it out for you um, for you to get the point of it. So, you know, I don't think that's something either you or I have an answer for. It's just, um, you know, the challenge that all choral groups face in terms of, Hey, maybe you don't think that the way we are communicating these uh, ideas is relevant in terms of, you know, fugues or whatnot, or, um, masterworks or whatever, but the intention is, and the, the, um, essence and the idea behind it is, and it's our job to say, hey, give these forms a chance, give fugues a yeah. chance, give all these ideas, um, you know, just a moment and recognize that they are a vehicle, a very beautiful vehicle for these really important ideas that are always going to be relevant. You know, losing a parent, losing yeah. a child, that's always that's always going to be something people want to hear expressed and deconstructed and analyzed and ideally, you know, come to some sort of peace with in music. Because that's, I mean, that's the stuff that... Um, I think that kind of circles back to like why we do what we do because yeah. we can play with all these ideas through an art form we love. So uh, before we keep going too long, we do have to take a quick break. Here. We're actually going to listen to a piece featuring Contus, and we are going to be right back here on Talk Appella. We're talking with Paul Schultz from Contus 
and we'll be right back. listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, your base for the lowdown on acapella. And welcome back to Acapella. Hello, everybody. We are with Paul Schultz today from Contus. We just talked did a very deep dive all about uh, not just the crossover between classical choral music and that culture and contemporary acapella, but a really uh, close look at why we sing, the art of singing as a way to communicate really important universal themes, etc., etc. So uh, if you're just joining us, we're going to pivot right now to uh, something that is also very important. It's actually, uh, we're going to talk about vocal health and both Paul and I, uh, Paul more so, have experience with this and that if you are in the choral world, if you're in the acapella world, it can be really scary when 
you're up there, you're singing and something starts to not work or something starts to hurt. You know, I just had acid reflux that I just took medication for, you know, after a while it went away. But just that brief encounter with the idea that, hey, you might not be able to sing for a bit or you might you might be doing something wrong or you might not be able to be doing what you love nonstop. Uh, that was just terrifying. Yeah, and your, your voice is really personal too. It's like a part of you. So like to have it taken away, I'm sure is like, it's it's more than just like I want to do this activity. It's yeah, it's like it's it's part of who you are. Yep. It was like okay, if I break my hand, I played trombone for uh, a number of years. If I break my hand, it's like okay, uh, it's going to be hard for me to move the slide on trombone. I'm not going to be able to do it for a bit, but I'll you know I'll get back to it eventually. And it's not like you know maybe my tone will be a little different. Maybe my tonguing won't be as strong or whatever. Whatever my slide movements. Uh, but I'll be able to get back to it. And it's not like, you know, it's not like I lost my hand or it's not like I can't use my right hand. You know, voice is a part of our biology. So, Paul, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about your encounters with, you know, the yeah. kind of scary world of, you know, vocal health. Yeah. So, obviously, um, I'm a full-time singer. You know, Contus is a full-time job with benefits. And we have to, when we're home rehearsing, we, we do about five hours uh, rehearsing a day, five days a week. Um, and then intermixed with that, we might have, you know, a show or two on the weekends. And then when we're touring, we're rehearsing and singing most days, um, while also traveling and being in airports and airplanes and places yeah. that might not be, you know, great for vocal, vocal hygiene. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I sang my first year in Contus went great, you know, no, no vocal issues. I felt like, Hey, um, never sung better. This is feeling good. Um, obviously a lot of singing, but no real troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a recording session, uh, right before my second year started, um, which was this past August or this past July end of July. And it just happened to be a lot of repertoire that was really, that I was kind of the highest tenor mm-hmm. on. And it was it happened to be a collection of pieces that were challenging for me. Um, and so, and we also lost a day because there was a snafu with the recording, recording equipment. So we had to jam some days together. And so anyway, so I really felt tired and strained during this session and, and made it through. Um, and we had a couple weeks off. And then when I came back, I noticed that things were slightly different. Um, I wasn't think it was, things weren't quite as easy as I was used to. Maybe I was getting fatigued a little more easily. Um, and I was noticing some a little airiness, not that could be heard from by a listener, um, but that but that I could perceive yeah. um, as a singer in certain parts of my range, kind of in my low uh, head voice. So mm-hmm. like around, uh, I, I I always get a little goofed up, but I think like G G yeah. four to C five, mm-hmm. um, and then above that was mostly okay. But it was it was kind of odd. It was like, what's going on? But maybe it's allergies. You know, I have fall allergies, so I kind of ignored it. And had a, we had a really busy season, you know, singing, performing. During a tour, I almost lost my voice, but I kind of powered through. Um, I had a lesson with my teacher out in um, New York, mm-hmm. and which kind of helped me survive um, mm-hmm. because it was like there was a there was a point there where it was like I don't know if I'm going to be able to sing the show tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like this might not. I don't. And there's no you know there's no substitutes. At least it, you know there's nothing. If I don't sing, you know, to me, it was like, what's going to happen? I have yeah. to sing. 
they're relying on me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so and I, I survived. We did Christmas, and Christmas actually went a little better. It was fine, but things were just not the same. It was not feeling right. Um, so I ca- came back from Christmas break thinking, hey, I had a couple weeks off. I bet things are going to be better, and they weren't better. And so I called and scheduled an appointment at, at uh, it's called the Lions Voice Clinic. It's here in Minnesota. Um, and, and then, so I scheduled it on like a Wednesday for the following Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, we had back-to-back shows on Friday and Saturday, touring shows. And our shows are like about two hours long. And mm-hmm. it's like the thing about, you know, acapella singing, and especially in a small group, is there are no breaks. It's just like... Yeah you all the time so it's just it, there's nowhere to hide um so after the second show it was like boy that was rough um i barely made it through and then i woke up the next morning and my voice was like gravelly um and i couldn't really like hold a sense together mm-hmm. and so i went in and they found um a polyp on one of my vocal folds with a scope down my nose um which was pretty pretty uh rough yeah <laughs> it was a, not a not a good moment um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I haven't really told the story uh, to anyone, mm-hmm. but, uh, so, so then, so anyway, I had this long process, um, where from that point it was like, well, uh, they recommended complete and total vocal rest, like no talking, no coughing, no sneezing, no singing. No obviously. sneezing. Jeez. I like, I like stifled my sneezes. In wow. fact, I still think about sneezing now i try not to sneeze now i like will try and hold my nose i'll close my yeah. eyes i'll try and not sneeze because mm-hmm. i'm like still anxious yeah um so so yeah i did that for for like 15 days had a follow-up it looked slightly better um and so you know you get to decide what what you want your your uh course to be you can get surgery yeah. or they'll cut something like that off or they'll zap it with a laser um or you can rest and hope it improves on its own um it depends on how much time you have yeah um it depends on what kind of outcomes you're okay with because with surgery you know you're going to have scar tissue which yeah it it won't heal you know so so you it's possible if you have surgery that you might come out of that um not what you were maybe a little bit different which mm-hmm. may or may not be okay with you yeah and so i opted for for a bunch of rest and so i yeah. i was had a leave of absence and they hired a substitute for me and so i was gone from contus from january through most of april resting my voice which was crazy in itself um but yeah i could go on and on but <laughs> i i think but i think yeah the, what i want to share about the story i guess is is just the importance of listening to your body, um, and and that the stakes are never as high as you feel like they are. Mm-hmm. Like you're in a show, you're in a concert, and you're singing, and like, man, like you maybe it's you had to do two concerts in a row, or your parents were in town the night before, and so you talked to them all night, and you woke up this morning, and mm-hmm. you're, you're just tired, and it's not feeling good, and you're singing now and warm ups, and in the first part of the concert, and, and the conductor's asking for things, and you're not feeling like you can give them. It's okay to not sing. Yep. And it's okay to say this doesn't feel right mm-hmm. and like I'm not 100%. You don't have to be a hero. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean there'll always be another show and in your voice you only get one voice 
and you have to you have to take care of it. And if you think there's something wrong, if there's something in the back of your mind saying, hey, like I know all my friends say I still sound the same and that I sound fine, but it doesn't feel the same to me, like then you should take action. You should take action. Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense because for me, I think of like choral and vocal students in like college or just, you know, high schoolers who are like really, really involved and stuff like that. They're singing in six extracurricular things. They're taking lessons. They're in their own acapella group. You know, it, it can feel like vocal or choral music is like your livelihood is if it's just what you do, if it's your thing, you know, it's not just like, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, kind of do halfway. So I'm just going to do this. No, you don't be afraid to say, hey, I just need to stop. And that's super scary because you can definitely feel like you're letting people down. I know we, in my uh, acapella group at the University of Puget Sound, we had one of my friends who just, his voice was just in a really rough place for like four, six weeks. And when you're five people in a group and we're all on one part, it's like, okay. And, but I, I mean, the point I just kept coming back to and looking back on my own issues with acid reflux and my voice feeling sore and feeling like I couldn't make all of my, um, you know, commitments. I, I think the biggest thing is one, if it feels wrong to you, you know, don't be afraid yeah. to get a checkup, like go to an ENT, go to someone. If it's, you know, if it's, even if it's just a regular doctor who knows I'd use a scope or whatever, they can point you in the right direction. But what I think was the biggest thing for me in going through this was not just the idea of, okay, I need to take care of myself, which a lot of people are kind of scared or nervous to do. It was not realizing how supportive my voice teacher and my choir director would be because both of them have dealt with their own. Yeah. Both of them had dealt with their own um, issues with vocal health. Um, my, my choral director, he had serious acid reflux, just like me. I didn't know that. And he couldn't really, really sing for like, two years and I didn't know that. And for me, it was like, this is just something that everyone will go through at some point. You know, maybe you won't have nodes or something, or you won't have, you know, acid reflux, but maybe just you'll get sick and your voice just doesn't get back to where it needs to be for a while. And, you know, I, I, and this isn't trying to say anything bad about uh, contemporary acapella singers by any means, but because contemporary acapella is not as often facilitated by trained professionals in terms of like people who have degrees and you know i lead my uh acapella group i don't have a degree in vocal pedagogy right Right. and i said i would say too which is something that's really interesting to this is that i i sang next to like a, a guy with his dma in voice yeah every day for five months mm-hmm. and no and he didn't know and nobody else knew that there was there was anything wrong at all Nobody yeah. could tell. And the, the other thing is that's interesting is I should talk about sharing your story and people being supportive. I found out through this process that my voice teacher, who's a successful, um, he's a, he's a professor at, at Ithaca college in, in mm-hmm. New York. Um, but he, he also does a lot of singing. He's a soloist around the country for, he sings the tenor solos on Messiahs. He's an evangel, a Bach evangelist and, and does a lot of, um, really high profile stuff. And he has had a polyp, had a polyp yeah. similar to my situation. And as far as he knows, he still has it. Wow. He still is, as do I, like my polyp is, is still there. Um, but it's in this place that the, the folds can still come together and do what mm-hmm. I need to do. Um, yeah. But it's going to be something that I, that I manage. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. I think one, one thing I learned from the professionals that have been helping me, the, the doctors and the speech pathologists is that, 
there are so many singers and people, but singers also who have have stuff on their chords, whether it's polyps yeah. or something else, and and don't know it. And so yeah. I think we think that like, yeah, it's just it's not a freak thing. It happens yeah. a lot, um, and and it's important to to really be watchful um, and to. Yes, to use good vocal hygiene, which is something I want to talk about too. Yeah. Um, which I've become kind of like this is my soapbox here, uh, <laughs> but but vocal hygiene is so important. And it's something that we don't fully understand, or it's it's just more complex than we think when we're young. Um, and certainly I did when I was in undergrad. But our voice is a part of our body, obviously, and whatever we're doing, if we're talking, that is voice use. And so if you if you have a concert in the evening and you like hang out with your friends all day or like you have meetings you have to you have to talk all day it's 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 like essentially it's like it's like you've been singing all day it's mm -hmm. it's really it's the same it's the same thing that's happening physically you know yep. it's, so one thing that's been that that kind of can give you power back if you're worried about hey this is you know my workload's too much and i'm feeling fatigued and all this well you can, are there times in your in your life or places where you can perhaps do less talking or maybe yep. avoid that noisy bar. Um, yeah. you know, do you have to go get a drink with your friends at this super loud sports bar or could maybe you find, go to somebody's apartment where it's yeah. quiet and not have to scream for two hours and instead talk at a normal decibel level. And that, that stuff is like just as important as the stuff that you do on stage as far as vo voice use. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, I'd kind of want to frame this for singers, contemporary acapella singers, you know, maybe don't take voice lessons or maybe just kind of, you know, do what they feel is right with their voice. And they don't necessarily have that, you know, the privilege of having um, lots of choral vocal training like you and I have, Paul, in terms of, hey, we had teachers say, this is what a polyp is. This is what a note is. These are things that can lead to it. I know there was a girl at my undergrad, just beautiful voice, but she had to leave her acapella group for her final year because she kept she had nodes and they kept coming back for whatever reason and I, I guess i just want to kind of the psa i want to kind of shout out to all the um singers and contemporary acapella groups is vocal hygiene is not just a thing for choral nerds it's not just a thing for opera nerds it is something that we all are using our voices and just because you're singing in a pop way first off singing in a pop way does not mean unhealthy that is a no, it really? doesn't. Absolutely not. Yeah, that is an issue. A lot of people are like, well, if you're singing pop, it's just like you're straining everything. Well, no, it's not that simple. Um, you are, you might be using your voice just as much or even more as some choral or vocal people and don't feel like vocal hygiene, like Paul has said, and taking care of everything, um, That that's just something that only choral people need to worry about because it's not. We all need to. And take pride in that. The other, the other piece is, is technique is paramount. Yeah. And, and where I ran into trouble was um, poor technique is what happened. Um, I was singing, you know, as we're an all male ensemble, so we don't we don't have sopranos and altos. Yeah. Shannon Clear has has male sopranos and altos, and we just have tenors and basses. Um, so what happens is that the the high tenors end up singing at the extremes of their range all the yeah. time because sonically. Um, you want to, it's, it's good if you can spread out these pitches as much as possible so the listener can really hear these textures. Um, so anyway, so I was singing really high and, and when you're sit, standing on stage next to three other opera trained tenors, yeah. it's like just a lot of ping. Mm -hmm. And so 
and and when a when a tenor, this is like kind of getting to another level of nerd here, but when a tenor is singing above the passaggio, mm-hmm. the experience of that is very different. So like when I'm singing when I'm singing below, you know, uh, let's say like F three, so the, the F below, I'm oh, sorry, F four, the F above middle C. It's it it sounds a certain way in my body and my head. It's like oh, it's loud. I can tell what the volume is. When I jump over a few notes higher and higher and up and up to C five, all of a sudden it feels a lot quieter, a lot smaller. And so it's so when you're singing on stage with super loud pingy tenors and you're supposed to sing these high notes, you're like, am I singing at all? Yeah. I can't even tell because all I hear is their super loud voices and I can hardly even hear myself at all. Um, even though the audience is hearing those notes beautifully if you're if you're doing it right. So I think what I was doing is is I was like, oh, I must not be singing loud enough. And so I was overblowing, using too much air, using bad technique. Um, and if I had had a chance to I'm kind of a little bit late to the to the to the voice game somewhat because I wasn't a voice major in college. So mm-hmm. I it's take I'm a little bit behind as far as tech technically is concerned. So um, but I would encourage everyone to to get lessons. It's only going to make you a better singer, a better artist. You don't. It's they're not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. Yep. Artistically or or whatever, they're only going to give you more tools mm-hmm. to be more successful. And you don't. You can choose when to use those tools. You can choose when to sound more this way or more that way. But you're going to be able to sing longer and and be louder. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the. Got my one of my tenors in my old acapella group he you know he got his adenoids out and i think he really struggled with some vocal health stuff for a bit he was a tenor he had never done choir but he recognized hey if i take lessons i'm gonna have a i'm gonna be able to sing longer in this acapella group totally. i'm gonna be able to do these solos and i think um you know the idea of the, the fact is yeah like you said when you get up that high for me when i'm in my passaggio and a bit above it just as a baritone for me i I barely hear anything. And for me, that's always been super jarring and I always overblow it when I'm up there. So uh, for tenors and baritones, remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it really applies to, to all. We all yeah. have our, each voice part has the has a yeah. passaggio type thing where they, anyway. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen to your body and don't be afraid to, to take care of yourself. Yep, absolutely. I can think of, no better way to uh, wrap up this episode. We are going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to be right back here and wrapping it all up on this super fun episode of Tacapella, and we're going to be right back. She can kill with a smile. She can wound with her eyes. She can ruin your faith with her casual lies. And she only reveals what she wants you to see. She hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me. She can lead you to love, she can take you or leave you. She can ask for the truth, but she'll never believe you. And she'll take what you give her as long as it's free. Oh, she steals like a thief, but she's always a woman to me. Oh, she takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants. She's ahead of her time. Oh 
lives out And she never gives in She just changes her She'll promise you more than the Garden of Eden And then she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding But she'll bring out the best and the worst you can be Blame it all on yourself cause she's always a woman to me Listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock on our app, on TuneIn Radio, and online at acaville.org. And we are back here on Tacapella. Today I have had the fantastic privilege to talk with Paul Schultz of Contus all about uh, the overlap between the classical choral genre and contemporary acapella, and then something that applies to both, which is vocal health, uh, something that is too often not discussed in the contemporary acapella community. So, uh, Paul, before we kind of uh, wrap it up, I want to just say thank you again so much for coming on the show. It has been my dream to have someone from Contus, King Singer, Chanticleer, anyone on the show just to talk about this stuff, to talk about how choral music is, you know, ultimately kind of where how acapella music it's a, it's a big part of the foundation it's a big way of how it's how i got into acapella music i joined choir we did acapella stuff here i am now trying to do both so thank you so much again um yeah, yeah if people want to get a hold of contu see what you're about by your cds yes your concerts, how could CDs. they do that yes. yes they're great cds they can find us online at contusings.org which is two s's in the middle one in the end um, we're also on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us, like us there, Contus. Um, and our, our Twitter handle is at Contus Sings, two S's in the middle, just like our website. And I also want to plug a cool concert we have coming up. You may have heard last year we, we did a show at Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis with Shanna Clear. Mm-hmm. We got the Battle oh, of the that Bands was together, so which cool. is super fun. Um, and this year we're doing another huge show. Uh, we are having the Ladies of Sweet Honey in the Rock 
to Minneapolis, which if you don't know who they are, they're based in DC. They have an incredible history. They're, they're all uh, women of color. They have a full-time sign language interpreter and they do a, they've done a ton of social justice work, um, just an incredible track record. Um, and they've been one of the inspirations for Contu. So we're, we're going to be doing a show with them on September 21st. So if you're taking a trip to Minneapolis, Hey, come on down, buy a ticket. We'd love to have you. But Sweet. thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you again, Paul. And then everyone, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at John Lampus. You can also find the station at Acaville Radio. That is it for this week's episode of Tacapella. Please check out Contus. Uh, give them all your support because seeing them live back in March was just one of the you know top, you know top three choral experiences of my life so far. It has been awesome, Paul, to have you on the show. And everyone for everything Acapella, stay tuned. And I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to your eyes.